let me uh, express my deep appreciation for the invitation that both my brother Al and I have received to be with you this week. And in this morning service, I would like to cover three items. The first one is short, and the last one is short as well. And the first one is introductory, and it comes out of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And it deals with his relationship to the congregation. The Apostle Paul tells the Philippians that there is a partnership in the gospel from the first day until now between the people in Philippi and the Apostle Paul. And it opens up in three areas. He says, you gave me your presence. Then you gave me your prayers. And then you gave me your payments. In verse 7 of chapter 1, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, and that was mutual. And then in verse 19 of chapter 1, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And then in chapter 4, he says, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So that was my burden for the congregation this morning, that in the midst of this church plant, where one of our brothers, Brother Mark, is a, the point man, he needs the partnership with the congregation. He needs the presence of the people. He needs the prayers of the people. And he, he needs the payments of the people. Now, the payment is wonderful, as I've been told. So I won't say much about that. Then in terms of the presence, that also means attendance in the worship service. That people say, we are partners with you where you are we are because you are in our hearts and we are in your heart. That is absolutely necessary. And it was incredibly supportive of the Apostle Paul that he knows my people stand behind me in their presence, in their prayers, and in their payments. Now, that is my introduction. But in the main section of my message, I would like to focus on prayers. What should the congregation pray for? And how should they do that? And then at the end of the message, I will introduce the Supper of the Lord. And I will tell you why you must go to Jesus with the message. It is my firm conviction that after every sermon we have to go to the Lord Jesus because the sermon calls to action and that is what the great Daphne says I have no sermon ever delivered that does not end up in action the problem is action is impossible without communion with the Lord Jesus so after every sermon we must be hungry for Jesus, in order to do that, and we eat him and we drink him. 
But that is the end. Now, in terms of the prayers, I've been impressed by two schools of prayer on the part of the Lord Jesus. And the first one is in the Lord's Prayer. And regrettably, it is usually a ritual rather than a reality. And I would like to urge the congregation, even if they are not present here, the members, that they can listen to the tape and they can ask themselves, when we want to be present with our point man, we want to pray for him. Now, what must we pray for? And how should we do that? But the Lord Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray. And it is not a ritual. It is a reality. Now, you know that prayer very well, and you have mentioned it very many times. And the first three elements, we know, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, the question is, what does that mean? Well, ladies and gentlemen, God is the creator of the heavens and of the earth. And his name is being blasphemed by a mankind and degraded to the point that he said at one time, I'm sorry I made you. I'm going to wipe you all out. And that's what he did. Now that means that we are in a crisis. And when you take a close look at the Word of God, you notice that every prayer that we read about is always in a crisis situation. Now, people do not want to be always in a crisis. But when you are in a crisis, you have no choice. We are in a crisis situation on this earth. Because the name of our God is not honored. And so the Lord Jesus says, the greatest need that you have, that you ask God to put the canopy of his name over the totality of this creation. That is our greatest need. And the name stands for the sum total of the perfections of the Almighty. His majesty his omnipotence, his omniscience. Then what he is in himself, the holy God, holy Father, his justice, his wrath, then his condescension, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his long-suffering. And we plead with our God that he puts his name as the canopy over the totality of this earth. That is number one. Number two, your kingdom come. What does that mean? Well, ladies and gentlemen, the kingdom of God will not come unless people are born again. They cannot enter the kingdom. They cannot even see the king. And so the second greatest need is for regeneration. And we plead with God, put your name as the canopy over this earth, and then, Lord, the people who are under on this earth, regenerate them, regenerate them, regenerate them, regenerate them, regenerate them, regenerate them. 
And then the third one, your will be done. Sanctify them, sanctify them, sanctify them, sanctify them, sanctify them. Now when I ask people what is your greatest need, they always say me, me, and myself. Me, I, and myself. And the Lord Jesus says, no, you are not number one. You're number two. God is number one. Lord, I am like Elijah. I'm there on Mount Horeb. Everything has gone to pot. If your name is not as the canopy over the people of Israel, if there is no regeneration, if there is no sanctification, I want to die. He was not discouraged. He was not depressed. He said, no. If you are not number one, I don't want to live any longer. And I can ask you a question. How often is our prayer not a ritual rather than a reality? Now, if it is a reality, we tell the Lord, put that canopy over this earth, but please, please, please let me stay under that canopy. Let me stay under that canopy of the majesty of your name, of the holiness of your name, and of the goodness of your name. Let me stay under that canopy. And the Lord, Lord God himself says to us in the book of Deuteronomy, when you get this land, all the houses, all the crops, you didn't build the houses, you didn't plant the crops, and you become rich, are you going to forget me? Yes, you are. And that's what we see in our nation. Our greatest need is not that I have cancer and wanted to be healed. The greatest need is not that I don't have a job and I want one. The greatest need is that my second car is in a garage and the man does not uh, fix it on the day and I have to be, do without one other day. That's not our greatest need. Our greatest need is that the name of our God is not a canopy over this earth, over the White House, over the Senate, over the House of Representatives, over the governors, and often not even over our own dwelling. That's our greatest need. Our second greatest need is that there is no regeneration, that the people have cobra hearts, and those cobra hearts spout poison everywhere. And the greatest need is that there's no holiness in our land. And if it's not a ritual, we say, Lord, let us stay under that canopy. Use me in evangelism. Use me in sharing the word. And brothers and sisters, if you want to support your point man, that's what you got to pray. And the Apostle Paul says, through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, I will make it. And I said to myself, and I read it for the first time, I think, Paul, you uh, turn it around. It's not through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, but through the help of the Spirit and your prayers.
And Paul says, Henry, I'm wiser than you are. The Holy Spirit will never come without your prayers. And when I mentioned that in Uganda, and I said, the first three is God, 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 not me, me, me. And the two young ladies come up to me after I share that and said, you know, I look, we look over our lives of prayer, 95%, me, 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 rather than God, 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 God. That's our problem. And Mark, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to be in your shoes because it looks impossible. And it is impossible. There is a crisis. And unless we see the crisis, we will never pray. It only recently dawned on me that every prayer in the Word of God is in a crisis situation. And then the prayer becomes powerful. You don't see the crisis, you stop praying. Now, complementarity of truth, the Apostle Paul says, there's joy and a crisis. If you only see the crisis, you become depressed. If you only see the joy, you become presumptuous. You have to see both, all the time. And then you say to the Lord, Lord, give me today my daily bread. When I am evangelizing and when I am sharing the word, it is like climbing the hill of souls and the hills of holiness. And when I climb hills, I don't want to have too much because I'm not going to make it. Just enough. I have said to congregations, do not pray that, folks. Do not ever pray that. I said, why not? I said, well, if God says, uh, do you mean it? And you say, yes. He said, well, I'm going to take 50% of what you have away from you. <laughs> we have too much in the first place, right? You see, that is why when the Holy Spirit is there in Acts 2, they're willing to share all their belongings and to sell their property. And somebody said the other day, is it easy for you to give somebody else's property away? And the answer was, yes. He says, well... It's God's property, you can, not yours. Is it easy to give it away? Not really. Well, then you don't understand that it's God's property. You think it's yours. Give me today my daily bread. And then, Lord, I must confess that I am not a very good soldier. Forgive me my debts. You know, you knock on the door. I hope you are not home. <laughs> you see? And I am uh, a little apprehensive. I have to get over the hump. Well, that only means that there's no presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, that is, and God helps us in our infirmities. And he says, I'm going to give you evangelists who have, this, who have the gift of evangelism. And they don't have to go over the hump because it is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the church doesn't grow them. And then pastors do the work of an evangelist, but they are not evangelists, and therefore they are hesitant at times. And I hear that from every pastor. Even my brother Al said at one time, when I go and uh, evangelize three hours, after one hour I said, oh, still two hours to go. <laughs> you see? But an evangelist will never say that. Now a teacher can speak for 12 hours, 
and a, and a deacon can serve for 12 hours and because he has the giftedness. We are not very good soldiers. And Lord, we are not very powerful soldiers either. Deliver us from the evil one. But Lord, our only hope is, and as an anchor to what we hold, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. Not only out there, but in me and through me. And then, Lord, brothers and sisters, is no longer a ritual. Now, I have heard people tell me after this message, I said, Henry, I'm 70 years old. And my prayers, my prayers have been a ritual for 70 years. I've never seen the crisis out there and in me. And I've never said, Lord, you are the only one, the only one. That's why I love the Psalms of David. You see, why did God kick Saul out and he embraced David? They're both sinners. Now, I know it is his sovereignty, but it's also because David recognized that God was number one. In spite of his sin, and Saul never understood that. And if God is not number one in my life, and I had my bouts, ladies and gentlemen, of questioning, why, why? And not uh, surfacey stuff, okay? Why am I sick? No, 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 no. I have gone beyond that, but more cosmic. Why this cosmos as it is, and this cosmic history? Now, I understand, Lord, Lord that you tell uh, Paul, you've got to suffer for my name because my son suffered. Yes, but uh, why was that suffering there in the first place? What is the purpose of it? And you hear all kinds of apologetics that says, well, Ben, it's a free will, and God uh, handles the free will. God loves you so much that he lets you go to your free will. And then somebody says, well, if you have a baby, you're not going to give him a razor blade. Uh, you have a free will, and I'll give you a razor blade. Uh, cuts himself up, you see. So those are the questions. Until I read in the Word of God, be like a weaned child, and do not penetrate things that are too power too deep for you. As Tony Evans says, don't even try to figure out God. You cannot even figure out your own wife. You see? Be like a weaned child. Can you imagine if your weaned child is in a mother's breast? and drinks the milk, and you look at that face, totally content, totally satisfied. Ladies and gentlemen, I need Jesus to get to that level of prayer. I need the Lord's Supper after every sermon. And if you don't need the Lord's Supper after every sermon, the sermon is not good enough. And most sermons are not good enough. My daughter said at one time, this church has no Holy Spirit. I said, why? And nobody talked about the sermon. Nobody. Ever. And I said, you know, dear young lady, there's not much to talk about. 
And Jay Adams says, counseling is bad in the churches, but the preaching is worse. <laughs> it's true. Nobody trembles at the word of God, and they nibble at the edges. Well, 48 hours, that couldn't be true. Adam, does he really exist? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, and even when we sing the psalms, praise God, praise God, you ask yourself, well, the psalm says, praise God, but how in, do I really praise God? I need Jesus. I need the Lord's Supper. And I believe the Lord's Supper is also a ritual. In 99.9% of the, of, the, of, the, of the cases. So what do we pray for? We pray the Supper of the Lord. And it's interesting to notice that the second petition and the third petition are the grand command. Lord, regenerate people, make disciples. Lord, sanctify people, teach them to observe. It's 100% God and 100% man. And so congregation, if you want your point man to succeed, and not get discouraged, the Apostle Paul says in one of his letters to, to Timothy, Everybody left me and in Asia, and they were all his converts. And then when he was stu stood before the emperor, nobody stood next to me, except Onesiphorus. He tried to find me, and that was quite a feat, you know. It's Paul here, it's Paul here. No, this prison is Paul here. No, that prison is Paul here. Yes, sir, who are you? I'm a friend of Paul. You're a Christian? I'll push, pull you into prison and, and put you next to Paul. There was a powerful refreshment of the Apostle Paul. But he says, nobody should next to me. But God is number one. I'm a dwarf. I'm honest with you. Very much so. And I need the Lord somewhere. And if people don't say, I need the Lord's Supper once or three months, then it's a ritual. But that's the what. How about the how? I can do a, be a lot more quick about that. The Canaanite woman. You all know the story? If I had more time, I would read the whole thing. But you understand, uh, she uh, had her daughter and was demon-possessed. And in Africa, I hear people preach on this subject and tell everybody, well, if your daughter is sick, you can go to Jesus and he will take care of it. Healing, the health and the wealth gospel, quote unquote. And uh, I'm sure that if you would have looked at that young lady, she was not sick. She was a very, very healthy specimen. That was not her problem. There was an, impen an, in an unfathomable darkness in her. Crisis. Huh? And she has an intolerable burden to get that crisis out of her daughter. And then she sees Jesus and he, she knows how, I don't know, that he is the son of David. She was a pagan. But she knew the king of darkness can only be defeated by the king of light. And I'll don't let you go. And the interesting thing is that Jesus doesn't give an answer. The loving Jesus ignores her. 
There must be a reason for it. Well, the second phase is that she begins to shout. She gets a sense of despair, crisis. And the church says, shut up. Have you ever noticed that the church often said to <laughs> very fanatics, shut up, because you're supposed to be, you're fanatic, you know what I mean? You're just normal, but you're fanatic. You're radical, and you must become ordinary. And a whole book is written about it. No, I'm not opposed to uh, uh, radicality. Uh, no, 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 but you've got to be ordinary. Forget it. He d they don't like radicality. One of the wives of an OP missionary wrote in her blog how she loved a, rad a radical by plot. And one of the board members said, uh, rebuked her. Be ordinary. Ladies and gentlemen, ordinary is not going to do it. You've got to be ordered, but you've got to be normal. And it's radical and ordered at the same time. And the disciples say, shut her up. And that is the church. 90% of the church does not like us to rise to the revival occasion. Because it costs you everything. You're either going to sell your property when you have need. And then Jesus says, no. <laughs> no. Now, what does the woman do? Now, I know what I would have done. Well, apparently it's a lost cause. No, 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 no. She goes on her knees. Total surrender, everything. She doesn't hold anything back. Ooh, nothing, nothing. Like C.P. Studd was gone for 12 years while his wife was sick. He says, if Jesus dies for me, no sacrifice is too much for me. Mary Schlesser, exactly the same thing. And Joseph Chon told his wife, I've got to go outside to preach because the word of God is bound under a communist regime. And yet it's freedom of religion in the church, and nobody shows up, but not outside the church. I've got to do it. And he said to his wife, and I heard him say that himself, relate that story, honey, I want you to pray, and you always support me in going out. Well, ladies and gentlemen, after two weeks, he came into his office, and he said, uh, Joseph, uh, I agree with you. The word of God is bound and is not bound. You go out. And as he walked out of the room, he said, incidentally, Joseph, if you don't step outside, I'll shove you outside. <laughs> now, that's radical. And I tell my students, when you propose marriage, then you say to the lady, are you willing to shove me to my death for the sake of Jesus? If you say no, I'm going to find somebody else. That's Christianity. It's total surrender. And then Jesus says, well, let me explain. It's not right to give the food of the children to the dogs. Not pejorative. I know a story, it is a real story, that the young boy got a pork chop for mommy, and he cut up uh, the pork chop, uh, he took the bones out and he gave it to the dog. 
And his mother said, what are you doing? I said, well, I love the dog so much, I give my porks up to the dog. And she said, no, no, pork shops are not for dogs. Oh, dog food, there's nothing wrong with the dog, but not the pork shop. And that was Jesus saying, not for you. And that woman, she sees light at the end of the tunnel. And Mark, if you don't see light at the end of the tunnel, you're going to stop. And that was very encouraging for my brother Al to say, God has somebody. And I know that God has his elect. I always tell people, you go from door to door, they're all like light bulbs, and you don't know which is uh, working or not, so all you have to do is sc screw them into the socket. <laughs> now, if you go into a, a township where there are 10,000 houses, and after 9,000 houses you haven't, you haven't achieved anything, and you say, Lord, I'm out of here. And God says, well, I'm sorry, because I had a thousand elect, but they're in the last thousand houses. <laughs> you see? And light at the end of the tunnel. And he said, Jesus, Lord Jesus, son of David, I had children. And when I give bread to the children, they always drop crumbs, always. And I'm going to get my crumbs. And Jesus says, immediately, I'll give the healing to your daughter. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I heard a man preach on that. He said, now, you know, let's go home and have our dinner and uh, let us rejoice over that woman. What a, what, a, what a wonderful woman. I would like to meet her in the day of judgment. I said, you don't understand it. It's a school of prayer. Woman, you have an intolerable burden. That is right but not enough. If the crisis is a real crisis, you've got to have a sense of despair. It's not enough. You've got to have a total surrender. It's not enough. You have to have an unwavering faith. And then I will do it. And have you ever noticed in the Gospels that every uh, many times the Lord Jesus says, your faith healed you, your faith healed you, your faith healed you, healed you? It's always in a crisis. You're the only one. Let me stay under that canopy. If I become fat and rich, I'll, I'll lose you. I'll, I'll, I'll leave you. The woman graduated from the first school, the Lord's Prayer. And she graduated from the last school. Whew. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm honest with you, Mark. <laughs> I don't really, maybe it's age or whatever. I don't really want to be in your, your shoes, you know? Nobody shows up at times. You are the only one. Be thou my vision. 2020. Well, how do you get that? How does... How does the Lord's Prayer become a reality? Because I'm going to be honest with you. I, I know it, but I rarely have it. In fact, I don't have it without Jesus. 
I cannot have it without Jesus. It's impossible. And how do I go through the second school? You see, when we have, see our children and we baptize our children in the church where I go to, they have the little baby in the arm and they walk down the aisle, Jesus loves me, yes I know, for the Bible tells me so. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I ask the pastor, what do you mean when you sing that? Can you go to the pulpit and tell the congregation, well, let me tell you what I really mean, all right? Gee, God so loves monstrosities that he gave his only son. Parents love them equally and share Jesus day and night. That's crisis. Every fetus is a crisis. How many people look at it as a crisis? It's maybe a joyful crisis, but it's a crisis nevertheless. And you see the darkness that's got to come back. Well, one of the pastors says that's a kind of over the top. Another pastor, let me think about it. It was 10 years ago. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't see the darkness. Now, it's not just I'm sick. It's dark. My husband walks away. It's dark. No, no, I'm not talking about that. That's because of our sin. As Roy, Leroy, uh, Roy Oliver told me when he lost two of his children that I was choking. He said, Henry, don't worry about it. I've learned that I, that I deserve eternal damnation. So the death of my son and my daughter doesn't bother me. I will never ask you why. I deserve eternal damnation. So don't worry about it. That's Christianity. God, the darkness, the darkness, darkness. Lord, I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. I don't want to die. That's Christianity. But we have light at the end of the tunnel. And you know why? Why do I go to the Lord's Supper? I've never heard anybody pray preach on that. Because it's the new covenant in his blood. Huh? Have you ever heard anybody preach on that? No. What's the new covenant? The new covenant is definitive and it's progressive. Definitive is I'll take the heart of stone out of you. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I wash you of all your filth and I remove and I put the Holy Spirit within you. I get rid of the three problems of the cobra, the dung and the poison and I replace it with the heart of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus and the holiness of Jesus. And that is symbolized in the, in the baptism. And when we belong to Jesus, we rise, we go into the grave of Jesus, we come out of the grave, we ascend into the heavens, we're already there in perfection, 100%. And when we stand before uh, the, the judgment seat of God and God says, why would I let you in? Don't say Jesus died for my sin, is not enough. I have the righteousness, it's not enough. I have the heart of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, and the holiness of Jesus. And if you cannot say all three, you're not going to make it. But you already have it in heaven when you belong to Jesus. But you don't have it on earth. And if you really have it above, you want it on earth the worst way. And that's progressive. The new covenant. Daily repentance and faith coming out of the heart. Daily forgiveness coming out of the righteousness. 
daily holiness coming out of the holiness. So when I give the Lord's Supper to you, you know what I give you? Repentance. After you hear the message. And faith to want it. Forgiveness when you haven't lived up to that standard. And holiness, light at the end of the tunnel. Now you're going to get it. So if I want to make the Lord's Supper a reality, and if I want to graduate from the second school, what do you think I need today? I need repentance, right? I need forgiveness. I need holiness. And now the Lord's Supper is no longer a ritual. And when you come to the Lord's Supper, you say, Lord, I want repentance and faith. That's why I come to you. I want forgiveness. That's why I come to you. I want holiness. That's why I come to you. And if you don't want that, you say, Lord, that first school of prayer, <laughs> it's over the top. Second school of prayer, I don't want it either. Don't come to Jesus. You eat and drink judgment unto yourself. If you really want the Lord's, the Lord's Prayer to be your reality and you want the woman to be your model and you want that intolerable burden, you want to have a sense of despair, you want to have that total surrender, you want to have that unwavering faith, come and eat. And when I hand out uh, the Lord's Supper to the bread to you. I say to you, here, my dear brother, is repentance and faith, here's forgiveness, and here's holiness. But you better eat it in, in faith. The, 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 the wine, here is repentance and faith, here's forgiveness, here's holiness. But you better have it in, in, in faith. And so when I eat the Lord's Supper, I'll tell you. I don't swallow it quickly. I savor the bread. And then I savor the wine. Lord, repentance and faith. Lord, forgiveness. Lord, holiness. I cannot do without you. That's why I'm honestly of the conviction. The messages that call to action mean nothing unless you go to Jesus to get it. And that's why people walk out of the church and they're not different. They may be different in their mind and not all, usually not either because most messages are not gain, geared to action. But not in their lives because they have not gone to Jesus. But ladies and gentlemen, every day is a crisis. Every second is a crisis. And we say it, yes, and we have a confession of sin on, on the Lord's day. It's also a ritual. It's a crisis. It's a crisis. I must abide in the vine. And I put it through. And that's why I am very thankful Yet you have the supper of the Lord this morning. Let's come and eat of a Savior 
who gives the definitive issues of the new heart, the new righteousness, and the new holiness through union with him and the progressive outflow through communion with him. Come and get it. And the people will run to it with a smile on their face because there's an answer to the crisis that the sermon opened up. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for yourself. I thank you for your son. I thank you for the Holy Spirit. And I ask you now, Lord, that we may take a beeline to the Lord's Supper in order to get repentance and faith, forgiveness and holiness in the area of the Lord's Supper and in the area of the second school of the woman. And then, Lord, when we walk out, we know that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory not only ethereally somewhere in the universe, but in us and then also through us into this world. Thank you, thank you, Jesus, for uniting us to yourself and now communing, allowing us to commune with you to be pleasing to the Father through you and the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.